Hello, beautiful soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week I am coming at you from the closet (laughs) with some soundproofing. We're stepping things up, we're improving our quality, we're getting better every week, God bless. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you to my four. I can, there's these four listeners that are ride or die. They tune in every week, whether I plug and promote the show or not. And I just want to let every single one of you four know that I love you. I don't know who you are. I have an idea about a couple. I don't know who you are, but I am sending love your way. May you have abundance and blessings like you wouldn't believe, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am really just like going whole hog on this podcasting thing. I love doing it. It brings me so much joy. I love helping. I love processing like verbally. Just do me a solid. If you hear an episode that resonates with you that you like or love that you find helpful, if you think of someone, if someone comes to mind as you're listening to these topics and these discussions, send them a link, you know, recommend the show to them, put it in your Instagram stories, just give me a little boost, a little shout out, help me keep this thing growing. And on the same page, um, if you have a couple, a couple dollars that you'd like to throw my way, if you find this helpful and you'd like to, you know, pay it forward and show me some monetary capitalistic love for my work here, you can do so on my anchor.fm page. It's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Canon. And you can a dollar, $2, $5, whatever. Um, I'm thinking about making a Patreon, but honestly, I have so much on my plate. One, one thing at a time. That one's probably coming in a couple months, but I'm trying to make an album. I'm like, I'm doing so many things. So (laughs) in the meantime, that would be extremely helpful and very sweet. But honestly, signal boosts are the currency of the internet age. So sharing a link is just as helpful and means just as much. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week. I love you. I love you. I love you. Amen. So this week, as promised, we're going to be discussing toxic loyalty. You know, I thought I, I batted around like a little kitty cat. I batted around a few different ideas for the title of this episode. One of them was going to be the mafia mentality of toxic families. Um, the cult of abuse. Like I, I, but at the heart of it, what I'm getting at is toxic loyalty. And so in the past two episodes of the, um, common traits of adults with childhood trauma, there's the one trait that is like extreme loyalty, even when it's inappropriate. Like even when you're given every reason, every bit of evidence you need to stop being loyal to someone, you hold on. And how this can really impact and affect your life. And this is what kind of, (laughs) um, for, I just want to like, I don't know why, my mind is in the gutter, but this like lubricates us for abusive relationships. This 
is what we learn in childhood, which then prepares us to put up with too much fucking bullshit as adults, because you don't realize what real loyalty is. You don't realize when it's one-sided. You don't realize when you're giving too much. And you don't realize that like a normal, healthy relationship doesn't, you don't even go there. Like you don't even have to get into the loyalty shit because it's just solid, you know, like it's, it's unnecessary to even like have to think about that or worry about that because it's just, you don't question it. And so that's kind of what I want to get into this week. You know, as I talked about in the last two episodes, my family is very like ride or die in a lot of ways, but isn't it funny that this never extends to like, I support you in whatever choice you make for your life or like, I love you for exactly who you are. It just, it doesn't manifest in a healthy way. It manifests only in the way of like, no matter how much you hurt me, I'm going to keep showing up. No matter how toxic you are to me or how toxic we are to each other, no matter how much this doesn't fit, we're going to keep hammering away at it (laughs) because that's what we do. Because we don't question, because we don't walk away, because we're not quitters, you know, because this is the way it is. Like this is the way families are. This is the way relationships are. They're not happy. They're hard work you know love is suffering love is (laughs) love is pain bro you know and that's that's how so many of us are raised like on a familial level um but also that extends out to like the way that we perceive romance and love and friendship and how how we get you know, over and over again, inundated with these stories of a toxic ride or die sort of love situation that ends up being extremely destructive for all people involved, but like, isn't it romantic? And, And I have come to see that no, it's not. And it's been a grueling, grueling journey of me to figure this out because I talk about this in, in almost every episode, but being autistic, like, when you tell me something is like a rule or a law or a fact, like I've had to learn how to question it. There is a, I don't think all autistic people have this necessarily, but I have a kind of like naivete, like a sort of gullibility that has been a real hindrance in my life because I just like blindly, or let's not be ableist, I just kind of like unconditionally love and trust people right out the gate. And then through being hurt and betrayed and put through these like trials of self-love, I've had to learn my discernment. I've had to learn how to go slow with people. I've had to learn how to like ask questions first, fall in love later. Because once my loyalty clicks into place, it's in there. Like it's forever. It is ride or die. It is a precious, precious gift that I have, that I'm able to be so loyal, that I'm able to love so fully, that I'm able to show up for people and be emotionally supportive in the way that I am. As with so many of the gifts that we all have, especially like an emotional, intelligent type of person or like someone who can really access deep reservoirs of empathy or someone who who has the ability to click into unconditional love so easily um, who's sort of like in tune with that universal frequency or who has a loose filter to the universe like so many of our gifts like you have to 
be careful with where you put them because in the wrong hands, it can be taken advantage of. And I think that's why it's so important to learn how to discern and how to trust our feelings and how to prioritize our self-care and reciprocity and also just like know what healthy is and, and, and notice when we're miserable or notice when we feel that tinge of like, oh, I'm being taken advantage of or like, oh, this person doesn't show up for, for me in the way I show up for them. So people who are wounded, who don't understand boundaries, who don't understand the way that they were harmed, who don't understand like a trauma bond and how one of those forms and how, you know, how that tenderest part of you latches on to someone who's hurting you um, in a subconscious way, you know, in a way that's like, this is deep down all I've ever known. So this is what I think I deserve. Or like, I haven't figured out that this isn't love yet. Or I don't know, like in my family growing up, I think that everyone really was doing the best they could with what they had. And, you know, James Baldwin said this thing about how your, you know, your crown has already been bought and paid for. So you better wear it. Like, you, I really feel like I have been able to heal because with each subsequent generation, people did heal as much as they were able to, but in a place with low, with very low access to resources, in a family with not a lot of money, in a town that is bombarded with generational trauma that comes from, uh, people in the Navy or in the military in general who came home with severe PTSD and like addiction issues, you know, it's just, you can only get so far sometimes. And so like, I know that my grandmother and the way she raised her kids was better and safer and more secure and more loving than the way her parents raised her. And the way that my parents raised me, uh, It was definitely chaotic. It was definitely a step back in many ways, but, um, you know, but I did have, have a loving presence in my grandparents and, and while I don't think they did their best job with their kids, I think they tried to do better with me. And so it did give me a little hint of stability and, um, and I think, you know, I don't know, it's complicated because like, (laughs) You know, my mom is such a bad alcoholic and was such a train wreck throughout my early childhood that like, it doesn't seem like it was that much better than what my grandma went through, but at least we were encouraged to talk about our feelings. You know, at least it wasn't like as much like what happens in this house stays in this house, although that was still very present. So I think that there was little bitty improvements in the generations, but I think that it was marginal at best. And I stepped in to this life just kind of like a natural born truth teller. I think anyone who would resonate with this podcast, who would come listen to this podcast, you can probably resonate with that. Like maybe you didn't, maybe you called stuff out that you didn't know you were calling out. Maybe you push people's buttons by simply observing behaviors and, and accidentally telling the truth or, (laughs) or maybe you saw the dysfunction, you know, I, my family, I know they think that I'm so cold and calloused and mean and like vindictive 
vindictive for removing myself from them, but I love them so much. Like the reason why I had to remove myself is because I had devoted my whole life up until my late twenties, pretty much to like hoping these people would heal, hoping things would get better, you know, being there for everyone, supporting them, helping them out, like doing my part, doing everything I could within reason. And I just kept experiencing like a massive disappointment and further emotional abuse and and also just this like forever moving benchmark of like that's not enough we want you to give more and that's not enough we want you to give more and that's not enough we want you to give more and I don't think it was necessarily like malevolent I just think that when someone is drowning they don't feel better. If you swim right up to them, they don't feel better and safe until your head is under the water and their head is above. You know what I mean? Like that's why they tell you to throw them a a, a floaty, like climb on this man because you're not taking both of us down. You know what I mean? And, And it's the greatest sin in my family and in all toxic families and in any toxic relationship. Like it forever blows my mind that I have been involved with people and I have helped people who've been involved with people like this, who are hyper demanding, you know, super toxic, really chaotic, very clingy, very demanding in every possible conceivable way. Demanding of your time, of your attention, of your loyalty, of your energy, of your support, of your whatever. And, you know, they really mistreat you. They fling you all over the place. They're mean to you. They bully you. They judge you. They belittle you. (laughs) You know, they just, for all intents and purposes, abuse you. They abandon you and, or at least like trigger abandonment wounds in you. And I'll get more into that in a second, but they see walking away from them as like the worst thing you could possibly do. The worst, meanest thing. Like you could stay and have a knockdown, drag out screaming match with them. You could turn their treatment of them onto their treatment of you back onto them in a, you know, in a direct mirrored sort of way. And that wouldn't be as bad as simply walking away, preserving your energy and taking care of yourself. And so I think that, you know, my family, any family where the, the, on the crest is like, we are ride or die. We're there for each other. No matter what we support each other no matter what, what's, what happens in this family stays in this family. We don't rat on each other. We don't tell on each other. That's where the mafia or like cult mentality comes into play. This thing of like anything bad that happens within this space, like we protect each other. We protect the entity of the family more than we protect our individual selves. And you can see how this gives way to extreme codependence. Like this is the training ground for someone who's with someone in and out of like, (laughs) of abuse, of healthiness, of happiness. This is how you get people who just like stick it out, grin and bear it, no matter what, instead of just taking the much simpler, really the much more healthy option at times of just walking on, walking away. And you know, like so much, I, it's like, I think about this thing all the time where like, if you're in a room of like, you know, kind of like mixed 
politics where like there's some, you know, some moderate conservatives, some moderate liberals, like a few leftists and one extreme conservative, everyone in the room caters to the feelsies of the extreme conservative. You know, the person who who screams special snowflake, like the person who <laughs> thinks everyone else is too sensitive and too PC, but everyone is always tiptoeing around them like, oh, don't upset the extremists. Like, don't, accept the, don't upset the bigot. Like, take care of them. You know, coddle them. Don't challenge them. And if you are simply just to, like, assert you, your humanity or, like speak on how you feel in a way that's not antagonistic or like combative or whatever. If you just like happen to like mention something about your experience as a queer person or a marginalized person in any way, uh, they can't take it. And, and suddenly you're a troublemaker, you know what I mean? And I think that is, um, just, just a, a facet of, of the manifestation of like this same thing where the ride or die, uh, dynamic always is in favor, in service of one person, usually the more toxic person or the more toxic unit. If you're speaking of a family or like, like a mob family or like a cult, right? The ride or die is in service of the entity. It's not in service of any individual, which brings me back to my my family, because my grandma grew up in such an unstable home and, and was really the black sheep and didn't have a lot of support and didn't have a lot of love and like wasn't indulged or nurtured or like encouraged in the ways that she needed and experienced every type of abuse there is out there. When she had her kids, you know, it was to fill a void. It was to create the family that she never had, which I think a lot of people, that's why they have kids. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But then you get to this like codependent um, abandonment trauma vibe of like clinging on. Dr. Maya Angelou has this beautiful, like go, if you need a pick me up, honey, if you need to cry, Type into YouTube, Maya Angelou Love Liberates, and ooh, you are in for a treat. Um, she has this like speech where she talks about how love liberates, it doesn't bind. And when you're dealing with a parent or a matriarch of a whole family who experiences abandonment melange when her children or grandchildren individuate, which is a totally natural maturing milestone. You're supposed to individuate, you know, you're supposed to, from the second you're born and you get out of that infant stage where you're totally dependent, you're supposed to individuate to become a person on your own. You know, you're supposed to push back against authority. It's like part of the terrible twos. You go through it throughout all the ages, you know, you come back and you flow away and you come back and you flow away. And eventually you're supposed to settle in this place with your parents of like a kind of friendship, you know, a kind of like, we're both adults now. We can meet each other as more equals and less as like you being responsible for me. But if there isn't an appropriate amount of like letting go of liberation going on, then it, you never get out of that dynamic and you always stay in this place of like, responsibility for your parents' feelings. And this is how, you know, you have people who are grown and out in many aspects of their lives, but can't come out to their families or, you know, choose careers that make their parents happy, but it isn't what, what they really want. Or, 
you know, just hide their politics or hide their spirituality or whatever, who just can't be authentic and vulnerable around their parents because their parents haven't let go. They haven't adjusted their expectations. They haven't met their children where they are. They haven't seen them as individuals. They've only seen the projection of expectations that they put on them. And that's what causes all this like friction and dysfunction and lying and hiding and and really gets in the way of the intimacy that's supposed to form as you grow and like step into maturity as a as an adult person as an individual and as someone who like can can learn to appreciate the way that they've been molded into the person they are and also allowed to become in whichever way they you know feel like they're supposed to flow with the own course of their life without any inhibitions or like blocks along the way, like booby traps set by your parents. It's so fucked. But I think that that's really like the heart of my family's toxicity. So like everyone is extremely dependent on her and she loves that, but she also resents it and hates it because she can't have a life of her own and she can't individuate and she can't you know, experience life out of motherhood or whatever, because someone constantly needs her. And so that's where you get these like mixed messages of like, I love you so much. I'm unconditionally there for you. I'll do whatever you need. You know, I'll raise your kids. I'll take care of your (laughs) whatever. I'll get you a lawyer. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll pay for this. I'll be there for that. And then, you know, I'm here for you. And then also this resentment that builds where you can't, you know, you have when resentment is the dream killer, like resentment is the connection killer, because then maybe if you're not the kind of person who like can lay boundaries because you haven't been shown how you might engage with like passive aggressive behaviors, you might belittle, you might accidentally or on purpose sabotage people's recovery and and that also comes from a fear of that individuation and a fear of like I experienced this in my longest up until this point term relationship where when I went to therapy my partner was like very insecure about it and really scared and and seemed to like fight me every step of the way of my healing and I've had a few relationships like this but that was the most um, obvious just because we were trying to like move from an unhealthy place to a healthy place like together and that's really tough to do and and it really blew my mind because I was like wow like the whole dynamic shifts when I'm healthy and you know I talked to someone once who was a neuroscientist who did like biofeedback and he, he told me about um, this woman who suffered from really, really bad anxiety. And so she was doing this biofeedback thing, which supposedly just like cures certain mental illnesses or whatever, after a few sessions, instead of like talk therapy, where you'd have to be doing it for years, maybe. And, and one day the woman's husband, she like got so healthy that she was like, I'm going to end my marriage. Like I'm taking my life in a new direction. And so the woman's husband shows up at this guy's work and is like, what the fuck did you do to my wife? Like she just left me. She's like laying boundaries with me. She's like giving me a really hard time. It's not the woman I married or whatever. And it's like, whoa, you don't like your partner when she's healthy. I wonder why, you know? (laughs) And I think that's like the thing about toxic loyalty is like, with these challenging people who, who benefit from the ride or die mentality, but who don't actually like 
give the way that they receive is like if you treat people with kindness and respect if you liberate them with your love instead of binding them with your love like they don't go anywhere (laughs) they stick around like in order to keep people in your lives you have to treat them with love and respect and kindness like it's It's pretty much like A plus B equals C. And I think it's so fascinating when people are like, it's like that Pikachu meme where he's like gobsmacked, you know? (laughs) Someone's like, I treat this person badly. You know, I abuse them. I devalue them. I disrespect them. And then they leave and Pikachu's like, oh, what? I don't believe this. And, And this is true for any relationship dynamic. Like, Blood family is not immune. Like, treat people how you want to be treated. If you haven't listened to my episode, The Golden Rule, go back and listen to it. (laughs) But it's not that hard, you know? It's If you're in the type of relationship where it feels like the universe is constantly pulling you apart and you're like, this feels doomed, you know? This feels like I'm running in place. This feels like I'm working so hard. This feels like all I wanna do is love this person and like a, you know, like a bear caught in a trap, they just lash out at me and like claw me and try to bite me and hurt me and harm me and cause all this wounding and just trigger all the parts of me that, you know, I'm trying to like self-soothe and I can't, like I can't seem to make this work no matter how much I give, it's not enough. And it's just like, mm, you know, maybe you're not getting what you need. Like, maybe it's okay to walk away. Maybe it's okay to start fresh. You know, maybe you should analyze a little bit what got you into this mess in the first place. (laughs) Maybe you should like reassess what drew you to that person in that situation. Or, you know, this is what I've had to do many times. I question like, what do I need out of this relationship? You know, if I were to continue, what would I need to happen? I would need more respect. I would need more honesty. I would need more vulnerable communication. I would need less judgment. I would need less devaluing. I would need less, uh, you know, abandonment in times of conflict. I would need this, this, and this, and this. And if I don't get it, then, and if I don't think that things are going to move in that direction, then the ball is in my court. And what am I going to do with that information? Well, that depends on which version of me you ask. (laughs) 26-year-old me would say, you know, your happiness matters more than mine. 29-year-old me would say, even, y'all, let's be real, 32-year-old me would say, (laughs) you know, you're way, I'm way better at being uncomfortable than you. So I'll take the hit. I'll take the unpleasantness. I'll do the hard thing. And you just, you little baby, you just rest easy knowing that you can always take a little piece of me. You know, (laughs) you can always take advantage of me. And really it's been since the pandemic and since I've gone through this period of just like intense grief for all the loss that I've endured and like just challenged again and again and again with these situations of like betrayal and abuse and mistreatment and and that toxic loyalty really being questioned that I've really started to uh, demand more 
to really ask for what I need and to be able to remove myself if I don't get it. And that doesn't mean like not doing the hard work. It doesn't mean like not putting in effort or like just sitting back like a little pillow princess and receiving. Like I definitely get in there. I love getting my hands dirty. I love doing the communicating. I love unpacking everybody's traumas. I got a Scorpio stellium, you know, I'm like, show me your dark side, baby. But, (laughs) but it doesn't have to hurt you. You know, you can wade through all of that shadow stuff without it cutting you open and causing you pain or like pouring salt on an already present wound. Even in someone's most frustrated with you, like even in the most tense of conflicts or challenging situations, someone who really loves and cares for you will always tend to those wounds, will always take care not to further harm you in the ways that you've been harmed. They will always prioritize that. And my baby, my child, my love... My sweetie, if you don't think that that's true, if you hear me say that and you're like, oh, that's fucking bullshit. Like it can't, you can't get in there. You can't be challenged. You can't be impatient. You can't be tired. You can't be put through the ringer of life without things getting mean. I, I just want you to like question that a little bit and like unpack that a little bit. Why do you believe that? Why have you, you know, in what ways have you been shown that? And and really look at your life and think, has anyone ever showed me the opposite? Because when you're out of alignment with love, when you don't think you deserve love, you it doesn't, it's not in as technicolor or HD as a toxic situation. Like we are like moths to a flame. If it feels like home, it's probably toxic and we go right to it every time. (laughs) So when I was like really going through some tough stuff and feeling so unloved and so rejected, I would be like, oh, I just want my soul family. Like I just want a supportive community. I just want like good friends and good lovers. I just want like support and happiness and respect and like to go where my grass is watered. And as I've healed, I've seen that I've had that for many years. You know, I've had that while I was going through some of the most toxic situations I've ever been in. I just didn't give them the time or attention that they deserved. I just didn't, I just couldn't see them as clearly. And that's because I was in a mistrustful and hypervigilant place. And, and it took me a while and it took me cultivating safety within myself to appreciate the safety that naturally occurred in those situations. So maybe take a look at your life and see where you feel watered and sunshined and nurtured and see where you don't. Real quick, we're just going to take a small little break for an ad and I'll see you on the flippity flip. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the Final Girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. So being raised in this kind of toxically loyal atmosphere where 
you know, you're just supposed to put up with it. You're just supposed to keep on fighting and keep on fighting and keep on fighting and stick the fuck around. And like, you know, you don't dare walk away. Rehab is for quitters is like a joke that was regularly thrown around my family to the point where people had shirts with it on there, lighters. Like it was really a personality trait to like not be in recovery. And, um, so there's this like pressure and this discomfort with the idea of, and just like just walking away is not an option. You know, it's just like totally unavailable. And so I really went through life, like not realizing that I could walk away. I remember like I had two friends in a row, two best all encompassing, like maybe slightly homoerotic, um, best intense friendships with women, with these like highly narcissistic demanding women. And I would be so drained by them and they would just never leave me alone. Just constant text messages, constant invitations to hang out, constant issues, constant drama, constant, constant, constant. And I'm an introvert, you know, I'm like a low drama sort of person. I mean, I like the hot goss, you know, like I like to hear about other people's drama, but I don't want it in my own life. You know what I mean? I'm actually pretty chill. And when I would be getting ready to go hang out, this was like two friendships. One lasted seven years and the other one, I think also lasted close to seven years and they had a small overlap. So like this was a long chunk of my life that I was dealing with these kinds of people. And every time I'd be getting ready to go hang out with one of them, I'd be dreading it. And I'd just be complaining and like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And my partner at the time, who was not always in his most compassionate energy would be like, just why are you friends with them? And I literally couldn't explain it. Like I, my brain was just like malfunction and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain why I kept doing something I didn't want to do. I couldn't explain why I kept participating in something that didn't make me happy. And that's because I was never taught that just ending things is an option. In fact, in my family of origin, the model for like things ending was like they had to blow up. Like it had to be a knock down motherfucking drag out brawl for things to end. And in fact, like the people who would have things end were judged way more harshly than the people who would just stick it out in something incredibly toxic. Again, no matter how much damage it did, no matter how seismic the, the like reverberation of that damage was like, no matter how far and wide the destruction was, no matter how severe it's, it was always better to stick it out, but like family came first. So if you let someone, if you let a relationship or a friend or a job or whatever, get in between you and the institution of the family, then you were a bad person. You know, you weren't doing your duty family first, even if you were married, like even if that was your spouse and your family, even that didn't count. It was like blood is thicker than water every step of the way. And so I just went through life, like not knowing you could end things. And by default, I was very, very bad 
at ending things. Um, you know, initially, I mean, I would always try to have a conversation, but like, oh my gosh, my first boyfriend, it took me like literally six months to break up with him. It was just like, oh God, talking on the phone every night, just like talking through why we were breaking up, but not breaking up just terrible, terrible. And then I got into like a little bit of ghosting phase and that wasn't really cool either. (laughs) And just not sure how to do conflict, not sure how to like consciously decide to walk away from something and like, and do so with communication and love and respect. I just didn't know how that happened. And also, you know, most of my relationships were toxic. So they don't always allow you to do things with grace. You know, a lot of times you do have to just like go no contact and hope for the best. Um, But this gets me into this thing that Pete Walker, who wrote one of the best books on trauma I've ever read, uh, CPTSD from surviving to thriving. He coined this term, I think it was him, that was at least the first place that I heard of it, called abandonment melange, which is where when you walk away from someone, you feel abandoned. It triggers your abandonment wound. Your wounded inner child is like, oh my God, I've been left again, even though your adult self was the one who made the choice to walk away. And things get very confusing. So this is why, you know, you might you have a intermittent, um, reinforcement partner who like comes in, gives you the love bombing treatment and then dips and abandons you. Um, and, and while they're gone, you're like suffering and longing and hoping they'll come back and then they come back and you let them back in with open arms instead of being like, what the fuck? That was fucked up what you just did, you know? Um, but it's also why it's so hard to extricate yourself from a toxic situation and lay that boundary and end it and walk away. Because the second you do, I've done this countless times where like, I'd be like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I deserve better. I'm going to love myself and I dip, but I don't fully sever. And you know, in a year or two years or when the pain starts to like abate a little bit, here I am crawling back, you know, trying again, opening my heart again, just for more disappointment. And that's, it sucks to, for it to be so deeply triggering and for the, you know, love the act, the sacred act of loving yourself and walking away from something that's not working for you, causing a trigger to that abandonment wound, to where you feel abandoned all over your body, to where it's almost too painful to stand, to stay away. That's like a cosmic joke. You know, that's like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? But it does pass. And if you can sit in it and if you can keep revisiting why you're walking away, if you can keep self-soothing, if you can understand that this too shall pass, if you can understand that, you know, that part of what you're feeling is is just the pain that you've been avoiding feeling by keeping this situation going and that that will burn out. You know, you'll get to the other side and you'll feel better. And, and when it's the right choice, the further away from that situation you get, the better you feel. And even in my case, which is an extreme one, as in, 
you know, cutting off basically my entire family and giving up any chance of a support system, you know, giving any chance of something to fall back on. I can never go home again. You know, I, it's made my life so hard in so many ways, but but it was the right thing to do. You know, I feel better every day. I feel more sure of myself every day. I was actually just thinking last night that like, if I had stayed there, what would my life look like? You know, if I had kept doing that, I, I would still be wounded. I, yeah, I'm always wounded, you know, but I would still be like in the dysfunction. Sobriety would have never been an option. Recovery would have never been an option. Like I just, I don't think that I would have made it out alive. I think I would have, you know, ended up doing something really drastic just because I couldn't fucking take it. It was too painful. It was way too hard. And, and that's how I know it was the right choice. You know, I wouldn't have accomplished half of what I've been able to accomplish if I had stayed there and still been doing that. It would have taken up all my time. Lord knows what kind of bullshit they would have roped me into. And so, and same thing with my friends, you know, I will have pangs of missing them. I will have pangs of abandonment melange. I will have pangs of like feeling like, Ugh, I wish I was the type of person that had like lifelong friends, or I wish I was the type of person that had like a huge community of people that I've known for a really long time who all knew each other. And, you know, I just don't have that because I like, I'm too persnickety and I have to walk away from everyone. <laughs> but, but what I do have is golden, and what I do have is chosen from a conscious place. Go look up my video or my, uh, there's a video, but also the podcast episode, Conscious Coupling, if you haven't listened to that yet or watched that yet. Um, but doing it from a place of choice is just really powerful because the people I've chosen have been chosen from an informed place, a patient place, a discerning place. And, and that's how I know they're going to stick around, not from a place of toxic loyalty, but from a place of like, why wouldn't we keep doing this? It's great. And that brings me to like what it feels like to be in a situation that doesn't even like need loyalty like that. So having been someone who really romanticized the whole ride or die thing, I was like way into it, you know, like I will fight someone for someone that I love. Like I, I have written nasty Facebook wall posts in college. Like I have told people the fuck off. I have told people all about themselves. I have like gone to the mattresses. Is that what they call it? Is that what they call it in like the Godfather or whatever? I have gone to war for the people that I loved. I have stood up for them in a breakup situation. I always choose sides. I always choose a side. There's always a right and a wrong party. If you cheated on my friend, fuck you. I'm never speaking to you again. You know what I mean? Like I have been all in, in my relationship situations. And this comes with everything, you know, taking someone out to cheer them up after a breakup, helping them move, like, uh, just being there, you know, <laughs> bullying people who were mean to them or like talking shit or whatever, you know, just showing up and being that like supportive friend that you're supposed to be from a place of ride or die loyalty. 
And isn't it funny that the people who do inspire this kind of feeling are the people who are high conflict and high drama. But let me tell you when this started to unravel. So this started to unravel in many different scenarios. One was in college. I, I was like 19 and 20 and I dated the most toxic person I've ever been in a relationship with. Uh, well, that's not entirely true, but this was like a really mean relationship where I was just like emotionally abused pretty hard. And everyone hated this guy, all of my close friends, all of my community. Like I had this really tight knit music school community and everyone hated him. Everyone gave me such shit the whole 10 months we were together. Just like, why are you with this guy? He's not good enough for you. They gave him such shit. Like you better not harm Brit. And, um, and then we broke up and everyone was his best friend. Like it was a mind fuck and a half after all of that turmoil, all of that defending him, all of that being like, he's my partner. And if you can't support him, yada, yada, yada. After all that, everyone just turned and like the music department was divided and like there were definitely a whole lot of people who like took his side and then the people who like were supposedly like on my side were kind of neutral to him, you know? So I had people turning on me, the victim in the situation and choosing his side. And then they all became really hostile to me. And then the people who like weren't choosing his side were simply neutral to the situation. And that really hurt me. That was a huge betrayal. It happened again with the person who sexually assaulted me. Everyone took his side. And I was like this like, tease you know what I mean this like person who hurt him who promised him all this stuff with my like friendship you know it's one of those nice guy situations where like everyone was like why don't you just love him back and I was like well because he sexually assaulted me and like also I don't feel that way about him but I was the villain in that story even though I was the one who was victimized and then again a similar thing happened when I had a, fr a falling out with a friend and a potential partner who ended up being her partner. It was like this so complicated unnecessarily, but I had this falling out and they were so mean to me, like talk about a smear campaign, like this, a smear campaign for, uh, the books, man. It was brutal. It just like totally ruined life as I knew it. And my partner at the time, like did not stand up for me, couldn't stand up for me, couldn't show up for me. Anytime she was around them, she was so buddy, buddy with them. And it hurt me so deeply. And I tried to confront her about it. And she would simply say like, I'm not strong. I'm not as strong as you. And it's like, well, you can like be cordial to someone without like, you know, sticking your fist up their asshole, but sure, whatever. And again, it's just this deep betrayal and this like, wow, my standards of loyalty are not... I'm not getting what I'm giving here. You know what I mean? And, and so I kept having this, my loyalty and the way that I was loyal questioned. And, and I started to think like, do I demand as much as the people that I'm this loyal to demand? Like, no, not at all, because I'm not that high drama. I'm not that high conflict. Like I don't have that many issues. In fact, it's them and their issues that create issues in my life. So let me take a step back. Anyone who I feel like hasn't been loyal to me or hasn't even considered my perspective or point of view and is so quick to either believe in an abuser of mine 
against me or who can't bring themselves to stand up for me or even just like do a, like a smidge of, of a loyalty. Let me just remove myself from that situation and see how it feels. And, and then after being in my own inner peace for a while, you know, I was very lonely for like a couple of years. I was very isolated. Um, I realized that like my chooser, like the way that I was choosing people in my life was a little flawed. I decided to take a step back and, and heal those parts of me that were drawn to high conflict people that were drawn to people who didn't know how to be loyal or who knew what loyalty looked like because they certainly demanded it, but were not interested in the slightest in giving it back. Um, you know, in just one too many times of being betrayed, I was just like, I got to figure this out because it hurts way too much. And, um, then I started being drawn to very low conflict people, you know, people that, just like show up and you have a good time and like lo- there aren't these huge friendship falling outs like there isn't the need for loyalty and I just trusted them so for example I cut off a friend who had introduced me to two friends of hers that became close friends of mine and I cut her off and I stopped being her friend and the two of them kept being her friend And I didn't feel challenged by this. I didn't feel triggered by this. I didn't feel upset by this. I felt a little bit like, you know, I can't believe it's taking you, you need even more proof to not carry on with this friendship, but do you, you know, it's on your own time because I knew that they weren't getting together with her and talking shit. I knew that they weren't turning on me. I knew that it was, you know, they were just going through it in their own time. And like, I didn't need to convince them of anything. They didn't need to be convinced. And, you know, since then, both of them have really distanced themselves, themselves from her, um, because she just like, didn't really, you know, they can't offer her anything tangible. So she, uh, just, like forgot about them basically. (laughs) So the choice was made for them, but, uh, it had nothing to do with me. And I knew, I knew that there was like an underlying loyalty and respect there where they weren't talking about my business. I know they just love me. You know what I mean? So I don't doubt that they can't maintain that love for me and that integrity of our relationship while engaging with something, someone who has hurt me and who who, uh, you know, doesn't have my best interests at heart. And I've experienced that vibe and that type of situation many times over where like, I'm kind of done with someone because they hurt me too much. And, and a a mutual friend or whatever that we share hasn't gotten there yet with that person or has gotten there and then returned again because of their own abandonment melange or whatever. And I just don't even need to question the relationship because I know the loyalty is built in and like, it doesn't have to be ramped up to that ride or die, like black and white. Like I cut off anyone who hurts you. (laughs) Um, 
type of thing. It just doesn't go there and it doesn't trigger that response in me and they don't demand it. And so I don't get hurt when they don't give it because I'm not giving it either. You know, like I just do what's best for me and I let them do what's best for them and they let me do what's best for me. And it's just like all kumbaya, you know? And I just think that's like fascinating as I experience it. And I experience like, you know, we get together, we talk about our lives, we talk about our problems, we talk about our how we're growing, we talk about the ways that we're struggling, we talk about our partners, we talk, you know, and it's just it's just a beautiful exchange of energy. There isn't this chaotic like vibe to it like there were in those past relationships. There is no one playing the victim. Everyone is like totally in the driver's seat of their own life. Everyone knows how to take responsibility. Everyone knows how to like do what they got to do in order to do their lives. And it's no one's expecting anyone else to pick up the slack or like be overly responsible or, you know, there's no one sidedness to the maintenance of these relationships. And in fact, they're very low key. And And that's just like, I think how a healthy relationship feels. There are so many people I talk to who have been in a lot of abusive situations who, um, who find themselves struggling with opening up to healthy relationships. You know, like I just, they'll say things like, I just, um, I find healthy relationships really boring and like, they just don't excite me the way that unhealthy ones do. And I think the solution to that issue is like a twofold attack on a wound. Like for one, you have to realize that the Disney romance programming, (laughs) the, you know, the rom-com ideal, like the notebook expectation of like, we love each other so much. We're constantly at each other's throats and like the drama and the, the like, what do you call it? Uh, the fucking, um, like the naughtiness of it, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this. It's not good for us. And that's what makes it so hot. Like all of that stuff is literally put into our heads by a source that I think has something to gain from keeping us not like on a conspiracy level, but just that like wounded people make art all the time. And like stories, people think stories of conflict are much more interesting than stories of like healthy love and like making it work. And, you know, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I was really into general hospital, don't judge. And I would be like, I'm so sick of the drama. Like, why can't, why can't these two people be just happy together? Like, why does somebody always have to cheat or die and come back with a new face? Or like, why can't they just be happy? I just want to watch an hour of TV at three o'clock Eastern Standard Time of just people being happy in their lives. That's what I want. (laughs) And obviously you would have conflicts, but like, not like, ugh, not like people abusing each other constantly and sticking it out and being like, look how hard we stick to it. Like, that's so romance or whatever. (laughs) So I think I've always been a little bit like, oh, this is so annoying. But also I was indoctrinated into it too. You know, uh, my most unattainable, like unavailable person that I've ever been in love with, ever had the misfortune of being in love with (laughs) 
to me, I thought was like the love of my life. I was like, wow, I've never felt this way before. It's just all consuming. I'm so locked into this. Like, it's so good. I feel so good when he shines his little light of attention on me. And I feel so bad when he withdraws it. And like, he can control my moods. Like he's the moon and I'm the ocean. Like I can't, what is this? I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't think. And I really thought that that meant that this person was like a soul, like a deep soul connection. Like as if we were tethered together on the same frequency or something and come to find out like, no, it just, (laughs) it's just that the, the machine, you know, the Hollywood or like fairy tale production machine of like, this is what romance looks like had a certain amount of investment in keeping us in a state of like suspended adolescence as far as our expectations were concerned, but also like people make art from their subconscious place. And if someone is in a limerent space, if someone is in unrequited love, that's why so many songs, some of the greatest songs of all time, most I would say of the greatest songs of all time are about limerence. They're not about healthy love. They're about a fantasy of love. Think about the temptations, just my imagination, you know? Each day through my window, I watch her as she passes by. I say to myself, such a lucky guy. And then it's like, you know, this guy's like thinking he's in love with her. And then the chorus is, but it was just my imagination once again, running away with me, you know? And it's like, that's, you know, we're all like a little bit stuck in that, that space of like a reciprocal love. It's like the chase is better than the acquisition, you know, and that's limerence. That's like an unhealthy space. And, and so if we can like readjust and reacquaint and like mature in our expectations and, and realize that the root of romance is reciprocity, the root of friendship is reciprocity. And like when you have true reciprocity, when you have true trust, when someone shows up for you and shows out for you and is like, this is my friend, I love them, I'm proud of them, this is the work they're making, this is who they are, this is how they've grown, shout out from the rooftops, you know, (laughs) um, when you get quality time, when you get, when you're, when you're open with each other, when you're vulnerable with each other, when you're both putting effort into, or all putting effort into, you know, watering the love fern that is your relationship, (laughs) uh, you don't need that toxic loyalty because you don't question, that that person loves you. Like you just know that they're not going to betray you. There's no question. And I know there's, if I heard this five years ago, I'd be like, fuck you, you're lying. But it is so true. There are places that your soul can find home in that will cherish them, that will love them, that will be so gentle with them, that will tell them every little thing that's going on, you know, that will inform them and make them feel safe in the knowing and the honesty. And there, there are people and 
and, you know, situations that you will encounter that will be like, I see you in the totality of your beauty and brilliance and wholeness. And I receive all of you. You know, I know that we're all flawed. I don't expect perfection. I don't expect toxic loyalty. If I'm fucking up, I want you to tell me, you know, if I'm hurting you before it gets out of hand, I want you to tell me, even if I have no idea, even if it's unconscious, I want to know because I want to be kind to you. I want to know because I want to take care of you. I want to know because I don't want to hurt you because that's the, you know, that's antithetical to the feelings that I have for you. And when you're raised in a family that doesn't do that, that doesn't know how to apologize, that doesn't know how to take responsibility, that doesn't support each other, that doesn't stand up for each other, that doesn't that doesn't allow anyone else to support themselves or stand up for themselves, you really don't know that's available to you. You really don't know that exists in the world. And that's why it's so important to like unpack our desires, unpack our attractions, unpack our expectations to correct those kind of toxic ways we interact with the world or we expect to interact with the world and and find a gentler and more loving and more vulnerable way of being because that is the path to happiness and it's really scary at first and you know when you first find yourself removing these toxically loyal situations and experiencing that abandonment melange of walking away there is a space you know it's like pulling out a a hair, you know, now the follicle is empty. Like you, you removed something, but you haven't replaced it yet. And that empty space in between, you know, it makes me think of that tweet that cycles around, like (laughs) maybe it's a quote, but I don't know. I just see it in tweet form all the time. Like the new world, the old world is dying and the new world is struggling to be born. (laughs) Now is the time of monsters. Uh, when you're in that in between, like, experiencing those feelings, experiencing the grief, just stick with it because what will come in will be so beautiful, so beyond what you ever thought you would experience. And to be in situations that allow you to be the best, kindest, most generous, most supportive, most loving, most happy, most full version of yourself is, it feels like a miracle. It feels like a dream come true. So I just, I leave you with these thoughts on toxic loyalty. And I just challenge you to, to question that impulse if you find it in yourself, you know, to, to take a step back and to realize when someone is asking too much of you and when you're asking too much of yourself and, and to make it okay to walk away and to make it okay to take care of you, even if it's with your family, you know, even if there's a, a, a whole avalanche of guilt that comes with it, um, you got to love yourself. You got to take care of yourself, make that loyalty to yourself and watch the love bloom. The walk on podcast is a production of walk on productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Canon. 
You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services, if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology. And you can also access my self-love course, which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself. There are journal prompts, guided meditations, self-care rituals, letter writing assignments, and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.